All right, welcome back for another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions. Continue to send them in, whether it's through the comments on YouTube, through our website, our Facebook group, whatever you prefer. And please make sure to check out the description box or show notes to see a list of all of our recommended products and sponsors. Check them out to support this channel. We appreciate it. And if you'd like a more in-depth look at Freight 360 and our training, make sure to check out the Freight Broker Basics course, which is a full-length, self-paced course taught by us on how to start a brokerage, get customers, build that carrier network, and even hire the right employees when the time is right. So let's get right into it. Our first question comes from David. David asked us, how can I get into the dispatching side of the business? Um, Ben, I'm actually curious because you you've done a handful of work with some independent dispatchers. Yep. Have they ever told you how they got started in it? Yeah, most of the ones that I've worked with caught into it because their family were truck drivers. Um, Felicia Dawkins, who I've worked with the most as a dispatcher, which is related to Dreage in Chicago. Her, I think she's like one of seven or eight siblings and like five of her brothers all were owner operator truck drivers and like a couple of her cousins and they were all you know had done different things in trucking and most of them just ended up back in drayage so i mean really how she got into it were i never even asked her what her interest level was or how she got brought in it was just she kind of reached out to me i remember a long time ago and yeah, to be honest, I, don't, I thought I had an answer. I guess I kind of so, did. So, well, I mean, I here's what I'm going to say. It, I've never been a dispatcher, but I'm going to I'm gonna give you like basic, uh, I'm going to take what I know about brokerage and apply it to dispatching, right? With brokerage, we have two sides. We've got shippers and we've got motor carriers. Yep. So to get started, you've obviously got to educate yourself on it. And there's a variety of ways to do that. And then you've got to connect with both sides, brokers, I'm sorry, shippers and carriers. If you're a dispatcher, your two sides are carriers and freight brokers, right? Yep. So you have to educate yourself somehow. That could be through self self teach, um, mentoring somebody, um, you know, working for a dispatching company, right? Whatever that looks like, you've got to learn it, and then you got to go out there and network. You've got to meet some brokers and you got to meet some carriers, and that's really how you would get started. I mean, the same. It just kind of applies to any any kind of role where you're going to be in between two different parties, you have to know who they are and you've got to network and connect with them. Um, I would recommend also staying very in tune with the legality and guidance being given about dispatching services. Um, because if you cross a certain line, you're going to be considered a freight broker and you're going to be required to have a license. So um, definitely educate yourself yeah. on that. I think the other thing I would point out, right, is you can network with brokers to see where loads are. But to be honest, like you can kind of find those just through the load board as introductions. I would say if I was going to lean to one side or the other, like I would probably try to get carriers as my clients before I would probably try to get the freight. And you're going to yeah. do a little bit of both. But I think that's probably weighted a bit more. So I would start with maybe local trucking companies, maybe some owner ops, maybe some newer owner ops that actually could use the value you're going to provide because the value, right, that you're providing to the trucking companies is better access to the market, which could be better paying loads 
It could be the same paying loads in better locations. It could be better timing of these loads related to other customers they have. You're really just taking whatever that truck's already doing and telling them, hey, I can help you make more money by either running more loads, more profitable loads, or getting you the loads that you haven't been able to get to faster, right? The thing you're not going to be doing is handling the money. You're not going to be choosing the carriers based on the freight you've got to move. So I would start more on the carrier side and try to find some that actually need the thing you're going to provide to them. And then I would get and hustle to meet as many brokers as I could that match up with where my truck wants to go. You got to have a value add too. So you mentioned find the highest paying loads. Um, It could be highest paying. It could be the most desirable location. Um, It could also be, hey, I want to handle your paperwork for you. Right. Yep. That's a huge one. Per contract, I'll be authorized to represent your company to do um, carrier onboarding with with the brokerage, signing rate confirmations, all that stuff. So, yeah. Good question. Next up is Chris. As a freight broker, how do you go about finding consistent customers? So, I like this. I picked this one to answer because I think a lot of folks that get into brokerage, well, there's a high, there's a high turnover rate, um, but there's also a large amount of people, uh, you know, a big population of freight brokers that they kind of get stuck with that load list mentality of, I might get one here or one there, but they never really break past that point to get consistent business from certain shippers. And I, I personally think it comes down to their overall approach to building that relationship. This is an industry that is extremely um, focused on relationships if you want to succeed past like the average person, right? Anybody can be a transactional transactional freight broker. They can post a load, find a truck, offer it to, you know, offer it at a certain rate to a, a customer. That's not going to build a long-term relationship. You've got to be really building strong rapport, reliability, and trust with your shippers so that when they have consistent lanes every single week, they're not just tossing them out to a bunch of random people and saying, hey, give me your best rate. They're going to say, hey, Mm -hmm. Ben, here's the three I have for this week. You've done a great job for me as always. If issues happen, um, you handle them great. We have, we've, we're starting to become almost like friends with one another, right? We're, it almost feels like we're coworkers. That's what you have to, you have to strive for. And that comes down a lot of times to just your personality. How do you communicate with other people? Are you just awkward, right? I, I think, you know, it's, there's not like a take this magic pill and it'll make you get consistent business. You've got to build a relationship with your customers and that will eventually lead to that consistent business. That's absolutely true. I will tell you the path that it usually takes, right? Is as a freight broker, right? The best way to position yourself for the most opportunities, right? Like preparation to pre- so that you're there when, you know, luck happens, right? Is you need to communicate to your customers that whatever they need, whenever they need it, you will be there. So because of that, right? Like you've got a wide net for any problem that you can help with. So your first couple loads, right? Are either going to be one of the two. What you just said, load lists, which are cheapest truck gets the load. They don't really care because the load's not that important. It's not that risky. The other way your first loads are something happened and they shoot an email to every broker they've talked to and goes, whoever can help me with this, I need it now. Now, those are your first few opportunities. But to get out of that stage to work towards consistent, what usually happens or how you can play this game better is 
If I run a load for you, Nate, and you're my customer and say it's one of those scenarios, like you called me and you called a bunch of other brokers yesterday and I got that load covered for you and I happened to get the truck that worked for you, right? What I'm going to do next is talk to that carrier and say, hey, how did that lane work for you? Are you there every week? If that carrier needs that load and it worked well for them and he goes, hey, I can run that for you every week. I have the first piece I need. The second piece I need is to come back to you and to sell you on that guy's service and my service today and the fact that you shouldn't have to worry about it next week. Just give it to me if it comes through. That's the next step. Like That's your pivot. Now, that it's not always going to happen because you ran one load and the truck works to warrant them every week that they'll give it to you. But if you keep doing that, what eventually happens is you end up with the right truck for the right lane and the customer's like, you know what? I am tired of finding coverage for this load every week. I'm glad you got a guy that wants to keep it. Here, take it next week. That is your first step on the other side of the pivot of transitioning from spot freight to dedicated freight. And again, it doesn't work unless you do what you pointed out, which is build the rapport and how you're selling or positioning this. It's not just a solution today, Nate. It's a solution as long as you've got this load. How does that sound? You like the guy? You liked working with me? We can keep this running. How about you just send this to me every Monday when you get it? He'll be there every Wednesday. Well, maybe not this week, but we'll see how it goes. They fall out again next week. Whoever was working with them, they call me. Now, maybe by the third or fourth time, by the time they look at it next month, they go, well, shit, you ran this three times last month. My dedicated truck ran it once. I don't know why I don't give it to you now. The case keeps building in your favor the more you do this. And that's how you earn dedicated freight from spot freight. That's exactly right. All right. Next up is Gabriella. Gabriella asks, I'm thinking about hiring a driver to add to my company. How should I pay them? Is it per mile, a percentage, per hour? Um, so obviously this is an asset-based company. There's a, there's not a right or wrong answer here. It's a, I mean, it's going to depend on two things. Number one, what are you comfortable with? And number two, what does that person want? Right? I would tell you probably the... the um, okay, so... Let's go through each one, the per mile, percentage, and per hour. So per hour is not a very common way. I'm not even going to say per Don't do it per hour. There's too many The only there. time I see per hour work is in like local delivery yes. stuff, like milk runs, bread runs, like literally delivery trucks, box yep. vans, and things that like work within a small mileage. That's where you'll see per hour. Yes. Now, per mile versus a percentage of the line haul, let's break these down. So per mile, um, if you ever just driven down a highway, you probably see a lot of semi trucks on the road that have advertisements that we're hiring. We're paying 50 cents a mile and up or something, you know, starting at 55 cents a mile. Um, that's a fairly common pay range right there. Um, if you figure the average national line haul rate with fuel is like, what two two bucks and change a mile? Um, they take all their expenses out, and a chunk of that's going to pay their drivers. And it could be that they're paying, you know, half a buck a mile to the driver. Um, percentage of line haul is the way that I've done it in the past. So the company I was with bef- uh, previously had um, a small asset MC as well, and at at one point we were entertaining the idea of bringing on additional leased on drivers. So these are guys that had their own truck and wanted their to lease on to our authority, and we essentially became the bank for them to run their business through. And what we paid was 
90% of the line haul and all fuel, right? So if there's fuel fuel surcharge or fuel pay in there, we would do that. So we basically charge them a 10% cost to be their administrative functioning body, okay? Yep. Now, if you're hiring someone who doesn't have a truck, right, you've got to change that up here, right? Now you've got to say, okay, well, I'll pay you a percentage of line haul, but I'm also providing you with a truck, right? There's, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to structure this. What I would probably do, though, is if you own the truck, I'd probably pay them per mile. And if they own the truck, I'd probably pay them a percentage. That way, it's probably your easiest, cleanest way to do it. Um, well, you, Ben, the company that you work for, they're asset-based. Are the drivers company drivers? Are they leased on? They're company. Um, okay. And I believe their percentage is just like you'd said. I've seen a lot of them. All the ones I've seen are percentage. I don't know. I can't speak to all of them because there might be some off or things that are done per mile, but for the most part, they're a percentage. And I also want to point out like the pros and cons of each, right? If you pay per mile, your driver's really going to want more longer loads and be very adverse to running anything short mileage, right? So it also depends on like your customers and maybe what kind of work you're going to offer them or going to find them, right? Because if you're paying somebody per mile, right, there's a huge cost to that driver every time he's sitting waiting to load. So if he's got to spend an hour and a half to two hours to load and unload every time he runs 350 miles, that's four hours a day or every other day he's waiting. If he's running coast to coast, that's four hours every four or five days he's waiting. So when you pay per mile, there's a huge incentive for drivers to not want short haul lanes. That's why you don't see as many of them on load boards. You see more of those loads go directly from shipper to local carrier. It's yeah. also for that reason. Percentage, you can get better options for both because usually you got a little bit of that margin priced in and the time of wait for a short haul load. But in the market right now, like I do think percentage is probably better than per mile, but you could go either or. The other thing I want to point out is, is this an asset company or is it maybe a brokerage that wants to buy a truck? And if that's the case, I would also look at your insurance and are you going to do this under a dual authority and what kind of work are they expecting to get work from you as a freight broker? Are they signing on with you? Are you hiring them because you've got more freight to run and you would like to have a truck? Like I always want to understand, just like you said, if I'm doing an incentive plan, the person I'm bringing on, what are they looking to get and what are they looking to do for it? Because an incentive does exactly that, make somebody do more of something. So you want to know what that thing is. <clears throat> Same thing with this person, like Gabriella, like what, what is your motivation to want to do this? Is it to expand into another business? Is it to get better margins on freight you're brokering? Is it to position yourself better to your customers of having assets and brokers? Because all of those things, I think, are going to play into the answer of this too. Yep, exactly. I'm trying to think when I worked for a trucking company, they had the local guys were paid by the hour and the line haul drivers were paid... Um, per mile when they were driving and then per hour when they were on the dock unloading. Mm -hmm. So like the most senior guys, they would bid the longest route. It was round trip in the LTL world. So they would drive to a service center, unload for a little bit and take a tr and drive a trailer back. So yep. the most senior guys were like, I want to just drive drop hook and drive back and then the exactly. lowest on the totem pole they would get like the crap run 
that uh, if they were lucky, they, there might be no freight. There might not. There might be no truck going out that night, and they're just stuck working on the dock at our yep. facility all night. <laughs> that would happen every now and then. So, yeah, interesting. All right, next up, Prince. Can I get help with industry standard rates or a pricing sheet for a direct customer? Client wants to know what our prices are. So I pulled this not because I have a, an actual answer because I want to talk about this. So this is in our Facebook group. And man, he got beat up. I don't know if you saw this one. <laughs> I People were like, you shouldn't be, you know, clearly you shouldn't be working in the industry if you're asking this kind of question on Facebook. Um, well, here's the reality. Pricing doesn't, it's not consistent in this no, industry. It's right? not. A, a standard price does not exist. It can fluctuate based off of the time of year, the time of day, how close to a holiday you are, what kind of equipment you're hauling, how heavy the load is, where it's picking up, where it's delivering, any accessorials. So what you might have is a standard accessorial fee like, hey, we expect, you know, if it's a if you guys cancel and we have to pay a tonu, our company standard is, you know, $150 or something like that. Um, our company standard for detention is X amount per hour after a certain number of hours. But there is not a standard rate or pricing sheet um, in this industry. Now, if a customer asks you, this is what I want to talk about, what is your pricing? How would you tackle that one? How would I tackle it? It's the same way I'm going to go back to the question before. I'm going to ask a lot of questions to understand what their need is, because everything you just outlined is what I need to understand before I give them a rate. What is the type of freight? How high risk is it? Is it by appointment? Is it first come first serve? Does it need to pick up the day you need it picked up? Or do I have a two or three day window to get it moved? How on time does it need to be at your customer? What are the insurance requirements? What are the markets you're moving it into and out of, right? Everything you just outlined, I need those answered at least generally to know what I need to price. Now, once you have that, right, you can look back at an episode we just did with Tamir Dove from DAT on what the average rates are made of and what they tell you. Because again, you've got to start somewhere. And once you have that information, how do you actually come up with a number, right? Okay, we'll take two examples, a low risk and a high risk one. We'll take a flatbed full of architectural glass and we'll take a flatbed full of lumber, right? Flatbed full of lumber, probably going to be pretty heavy, pretty low insurance requirements, low risk, usually can pick up a day or two around the pickup date and deliver a day or two around the delivery date. To me, if I look at the average rate on that shipping lane in DAT, you're going to be right around the average, maybe a little below is what I'm going to quote it. And I got to put the work in to find the right carriers that really want that freight to make that deal work for that specific shipment, right? Other side of this, architectural glass, high risk, high value. If there's an incident or it's not handled correctly, you could have a total loss on all of the cargo. For all those reasons, that's going to be above the average by maybe 10, 15, 20%, depending on the market where it's coming out of. Is there a lot of freight where it's coming out of? Is there no freight where it's coming out of? And is there a lot of freight where it's going to? Or is there a lot of, not a lot of freight? Because your front haul and back haul rates from where you're sending a truck is basically what they're likely to get paid after they deliver your load. It's like, you're going to work for me and I'm going to send you to this market. And if that market's terrible and they're going to get less money coming out of it, I got to pay them more to get into it. Yeah. So I think to answer Prince's question, um, if someone says, hey, what's your uh, pricing? Well, it depends. You know, th- this is a very fluid market. Prices 
it depends on what that day looks like. So you, and you should be, your customers should know that, right? But hey, maybe you got someone that's brand new to the role and they don't know any better, right? You have to explain that to them. There's a lot of value in helping educate your customer. Um, All right, last up, uh, I pulled this one from Reddit because I liked it. Um, So their username is rniche2020. I don't know who that is, but basically I summarized the question. um, What should I do if a carrier shows up a day early multiple times causing issues with the delivery? The customer wants a rate reduction because the delivery involves a crane appointment and they're throwing off the entire day's schedule. So this is not just one time. Multiple times now a carrier is showing up before they're supposed to. Now this will answer what would you do um, at the end, but I want to talk to you a couple things. Number one, you I feel like you should have some sort of heads up about this because you're either doing a check call or you're tracking via GPS. You should know if it happened once, right? And then it happens a second time. That's By the second you. time, you should know. If it happens a third time, then now it's on you for not having gotten ahead of that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. So here's probably what I would do. If a driver... So I would definitely address it with a driver. Let them know, hey, if you're going to be there early, reach out to me first before you just show up there and throw off the schedule. Because there's a chance I might be able to call the customer and if they have availability, I might be able to squeeze you in a day early. But if not don't just show up because then it throws off their schedule and it's going to cause issues and we might have to do a rate reduction even though you got there early uh, and explain why. Um, I would also probably have a deeper conversation with my customer and find out what kind of exceptions to their normal scheduling do they have? What is their procedure? If somebody is able to get there early, does that help them or is it not is it not beneficial at all? Because if it's possible to get them there early and it's, it will help them, I'm going to try to make that work. What are your what's your take on this? Um, I, I mean, in, in this case, I'm, if the customer is going to find me, I'm going to pass it through the driver for not doing their job. But what would you do here? I've done a lot of this work and I like doing this kind of work because, again, this goes back to the other question of this is usually higher margin work. And the reason it's you make a little more is because it takes more work to execute. Right. There's a huge cost to that customer when that crane is not operating, moving the thing it was scheduled to move, right? You're talking sometimes thousands of dollars an hour between the staff and the crane. So when that thing is not there, when it needs it there, that's a far bigger problem than getting the load there at all, right? So to me, I like these and I've done a lot of it. I am absolutely going to be back. The first thing I'm going to do is exactly what you said, talk to my driver and figure out what happened. Usually it's because he made good time. This is probably a longer mileage run and he just wants to get there early to get to his next load. That's fine. But the reality is, is I can also probably tell you why that happens is because I'll bet you're paying a little bit more because your customer's paying a little bit more to have this done correctly on time. And the driver's going, well, I got paid everything I needed. I'm in a rush to get there early pocket more of the money and get to my next load. So you really do need to address this more, I think, on the carrier side than the customers. The customer questions I would ask is, you know, is the crane there outside of this window? Is it the day before? Are you unloading other trucks with the same equipment at any other window other than when I schedule it is the first thing I want to understand. Like big picture, what's actually happening with you coordinating with this giant expensive piece of equipment? And if that question is, 
It's usually not. Usually the cranes arrive day of or they're like an hour before and will leave very shortly after they're done to go make more money. The, the crane makes money just like a truck does. So when they're sitting, not lifting, like someone's paying that bill. So yeah. to me, it's much more of a carrier driver issue. Probably not going to use that carrier again if they don't understand this. But that's probably why it's happening. You're paying him a little bit more because you need him to be there on time. And he's going, well, I'll be there really on time. Well, the reality is, is no, he's just taking advantage of the situation more than likely to go get to his next load to bank more than the revenue. But it's a huge problem and you need to fix this immediately if you want to retain that type of business. Yeah. Yeah. Your customer, I mean, if they're already asking you for a rate reduction, what do you think happens next? (laughs) they're going to already looking at other options. (laughs) Well, thanks again for your questions. As always, I want to point something out. This is why there's always opportunities that are created that we can't predict right there right now. And I'm sorry, our niche 2020, but there is another broker. I, I would be willing to bet that has already been trying to talk to your customer to get any opportunity to work with them. Right. And as that happens, the second time that customer is going, well, I'm going to give Johnny a shot. He's been calling me. He says he can do this better. And I mean, hell, what I've got right now doesn't seem to be working. I gave them a second shot and it didn't work. You might not get a third to your point, right? But this is a good example of where our opportunities come from because things are always going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. We talked about this in last week's episode, a day in the life of a freight broker, right? Get ahead of a problem because if you don't and you're behind it, even if you solve it, it's pretty likely you left a bad taste in their mouth And they're looking at the other options that are banging down their door to get a shot at what you have on your plate right now. And it's like the best defense is offense, right? More prospecting for more customers, but being proactive in how you're handling these issues, because this is one that should not have happened the first time, let alone the second, right? You should have known your driver was there the day before, got on the phone with your driver and like, look, I need to call my customer and make sure we can do this or you can't arrive, do not show up at the job site. And I would have been really, really not forceful, but very direct with him. Direct. Like this cannot happen. You cannot just show up because I would also wager a guess that that crane had other things there that it needed to move. And now you got a driver probably causing some type of confusion at the job site going, well, I need to get unloaded. And they're like, well, he's not on the schedule today. Well, again, A construction site is also scheduled and planned. They're not meant to just do things when people show up. So this is creating lots of issues with the company selling a product to the job site, right? Like this is the issues that create opportunities. So where it is a negative, it's a solvable one, but it's also the silver lining for everyone else out there saying, I can't get any business. This is where it comes from. Well, great questions is all great. Great questions as always. If I could talk, please. Check out our sponsors, DAT, Lean Solutions Group, and Blue Book Services to support the channel. Ben, final thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.